going to ask that you might take out your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 10, if you would please. Acts chapter 10. First thing I want to do before we get started, though, is to thank so many of you for your kind and encouraging words after last Sunday's sermon, showing how there is an immeasurably vast, eternal life and death difference between being even really good and religious and actually being literally, honestly saved according to the scriptures. We talked about that at length last week, centering in on the story of Cornelius' conversion to Christ, which we see recorded here in Acts chapters 10 and 11. This morning, I want to also begin with a comment made about Cornelius, different sermon this morning, yes, but begin with the same, same person and with a comment made about Cornelius by two of his own servants and one of his very own soldiers who waited on him continually, Acts chapter 10 and verse 7. I want you to look at what they said about their master when they came to carry out his order to go get Peter and bring him back to Caesarea with them. Look at the comment they make about Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 in verse 22 to Peter. They said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Just a quick little side note here before we get into the text. Remember, as we talked about last week, it was not the falling of the Holy Spirit on them in miraculous measure which saved them or proved they were saved, but it was the very words which they would hear from Peter that would save them if they had faith enough to obey them, which they did. Acts chapter 10 and verse 6, Acts chapter 11 and verse 14. But that's not the focus of this morning's sermon. Notice again verse 22. They said he was a just man, one who fears God, has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews. It's vital to remember who's saying this. These are his servants. These are people that were under him. He was their master. And they're saying he's a just man. They're not complaining. You know, we got, we got people who make millions of dollars today in the NFL that are complaining about the commissioner and their, their, uh, the people who own the teams and everything else. And they're complaining while they're making millions of bucks. These guys, two of his servants and his soldiers said he's a good man. That takes a lot. Do servants or even employees always talk about their masters or employers in those terms when they're far, far away from them? No. But that goes to the character of Cornelius. You know, he was an officer 
over 100 soldiers who were more than likely charged with helping, at least, to keep the peace for the Roman Empire. Charged with helping to keep the peace and keep in subjection these people, these Jews of these occupied territories. And yet, even in that situation and scenario, he had a good reputation amongst the Jews. Isn't that incredible? Cornelius was a good man. Now, the point of this morning's sermon is just how critical it is for us to both gain and to maintain a good name. To gain and maintain a good reputation or name. You see, Cornelius' servants and this soldier seem to believe, from what we read here in Acts 10 and verse 22, that Peter would come quicker and that Peter would assist this centurion in the service of the Roman Empire if they explained how Cornelius had such a good name and reputation throughout the entire community and nation of the Jews. They knew that would go a long way. Of course, they didn't know about the dream Peter had had and all of that, but, but their selling point, as it was, was that, hey, even amongst the Jews, this, this, this man Cornelius, this Gentile, pagan as far as they were concerned, he's got a good reputation amongst them. Wow, that really speaks highly of him. And so the question to be asked and answered this morning is, just how critically important is it for us to gain and then maintain a good name in the eyes of God in the eyes of those around us as God's children. Well, we know that the first recorded sermon we have in the scriptures from Jesus is the Sermon on the Mount. You remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount about your reputation? He didn't use that word, but you remember what he said? Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, he said, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and, and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all those who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. What's he saying? You live your life in such a way that you've got a good reputation. You let your light shine. You hold it up there. You let everybody see the kind of person that you are. Let them see that you are a good person. Glorify your Father in heaven. Do God's will before them and let them see it. Not to give glory to you, but to glorify God. We are called to be a beacon, not a blinker. You know what the difference is between a beacon and a blinker, right? Somebody very wise said this to me not too long ago. The difference between a beacon and a blinker is that a beacon, like a lighthouse, it shines its light even in the darkest of storm. Everybody knows where it stands. Everybody knows where it is. Everybody knows it's a safe haven. It's a beacon. It's on all the time. You know what a blinker does, don't you? Just goes on and off. Signals where you want to go, but that's about it. Our lights need to shine like beacons, not blinkers. That's the point of Matthew chapter 5, 14 through 16. The world needs to see us. We need to have a good reputation as God's people. Do you remember this St. Peter who went to Cornelius' house? Do you remember what he later on said as he wrote about the essential nature 
of a good name or reputation for Christians. Later on, Peter would address this at length for Christians. This idea of a good name, good reputation, letting your light shine, letting people know, having others recognize it in you. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, would you please? Peter wrote extensively on this idea. 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll summarize most of the chapter, but there's a couple of verses anyway I want us to look at. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, Peter tells how we're to be different. We are to be different than the world around us. And then look what he says in verses 11 and 12. Beloved, 1 Peter 2, 11, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims or strangers and aliens, whatever your version says, abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war or which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. What's the point? Point is this, you be different. You live for God. You're not like the world around you. In fact, the world around you should be able to look at you and you should have a good reputation amongst them. They should observe your good works and glorify God. You should be honorable in all of your behavior. In chapter 2, he goes on to tell you how to do that. Verses 13 and following. Obey the law. Obey those who are over you. Even if they're not easy to get along with, be submissive to your masters. He continues on with the differences that you are to show in your life, how you are to have this good reputation. Starts in chapter three and verse one, says you Christian wives, there's a behavioral standard here that will set you apart and give you a good reputation. Husbands, verse seven, don't treat your wives like all these men out in the world do. You're called to a higher standard. You're to have a better reputation. When a person looks at you, they should be able to say, there's a man who loves his wife as Christ loves the church. Different standard. He goes on in chapter three, verses eight and following to talk about how we're all to have this different type of reputation. We're to be different in the world. Chapter four, verse one, down through to verse six, talks about how we can't be like all the people around us. Again, we have a reputation that's different because we live differently. He goes on in the next few verses, verses seven through 11, talks about the same thing over and over and over. And finally, when he caps it off, look at verse 14 of 1 Peter 4, beginning at verse 14. Look what he says. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. God is glorified because you are acting and being as God wants you to. And you've got that reputation. When these, when these pagans look at you, they see that you're different. You've got a, a good name and a good reputation. But let none of you suffer, verse 15, as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God. Again, this idea of glorifying God when they see your good works. You should be recognized as different and good and godly. Just as with Cornelius, we see that a good reputation is pretty much priceless. But I want you to know that Cornelius is not the only one in the Bible who speaks to this. As a matter of fact, King Solomon addressed the importance, the vital importance of a good name. He is the only one in the scriptures to use that exact phrase twice, a good name. 
The first time he does is in Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 1 where he says, a good name is to be chosen. That, that's a key word. It doesn't just happen. It's not the result of an accident. This world didn't just happen to come into existence one day. Okay? It, it was created, it was orchestrated according to a plan. Good marriages that last 50 and 60 years don't just happen without any work or effort, they're built. A good name is to be chosen. It's something that's built. It's something you choose to do over time. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Loving favor rather than silver and gold. Let's not forget that the man who wrote that, King Solomon, he knew a thing or two about silver and gold, didn't he? King Solomon knew a whole bunch about silver and gold. In fact, 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 23, wraps up this description of his earthly wealth by saying this. So King Solomon, King Solomon, surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. He had more than anybody. He knew about silver and gold. Verse 27 states that he made silver as common as stones in Jerusalem. Did you get that? He made silver as common as, as dirt in a road. Stones in Jerusalem. Stones are everywhere. We could say he made, he made silver as common as blades of grass in Oklahoma. What does that mean? It's pretty much useless because there's just so much of it. That's, that's how much he had. He knew a whole bunch about silver and gold, and yet he says in Proverbs 22.1 that a good name is worth more than all of that. Good name is to be chosen. If you have the opportunity between making millions and bazillions of dollars crookedly, or you have the opportunity to have a good name before others, a good name is so much more valuable you can't calculate it. The second time that we see that phrase used, a good name by Solomon, is in Ecclesiastes 7.1. He says, a good name is better than precious ointment in the day of death than the day of one's birth. Isn't it funny how we've reversed that largely? We've largely taken both of those things that King Solomon in his godly wisdom said and we have turned them right around backwards. He said, a good name is better than precious ointment. Judas messed that up, didn't he? <laughs> Remember the precious ointment that Jesus' feet was, were, were anointed with? And it was right after that that Judas goes out and he sells out Jesus because he knew that that money could have been put in the money box and he could pill for it. The, the gospel accounts tell us that. But he didn't care about his name. What do we think of today? What's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the name Judas? Traitor. His name to him wasn't worth as much as that precious ointment. Solomon says your name should be worth way above that. And certainly for those who follow God, the day of our death is better than the day of our birth. We're born into this world of sin and wanting and pain and hurting and disease and all of these things, but the day that we die to go home to be with the Lord, we come into a world where none of that exists. So we kind of mess up both of these and we need to rethink that. But there's two times that Solomon uses the phraseology a good name. But it isn't the only time the topic is addressed in scripture. 
In Ecclesiastes 10 and verse 1, he doesn't use the exact phrase, but the same idea is there. Idea. I'm still putting ours in where they don't go. I'll get it one of these days. Ecclesiastes 10.1. Dead flies putrefy. That word just, that makes you want to hold your nose. The word putrefy, it's just one of those words, right? And that's pretty much what it means. Hold your nose, bad stink. Dead flies putrefy the perform the perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. You ever open a bag of potatoes and have one that was just gross? You open a bag of potatoes and you got one of them that just is rotten and it, you open a bag and go, whoa! You know how many potatoes it takes to make the whole bag stink. It's the same idea here. As dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment and give, cause it to give off a foul odor, it only takes one potato in a sack of potatoes to make the whole bag stink. In the same way, so does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. In other words, you can take a lifetime to build your reputation. You can take a lifetime of being careful, trying to let people know that you're living for God and it only takes a little bit of folly to mess that up. You can tear down an entire lifetime's reputation with just a few minutes of reckless, foolish, succumbing to sin. That's the point, that's the point there in that passage in Ecclesiastes 10.1. When we speak of the pricelessness of a good name, what we are talking about is our reputation with others. D don't mess that up. Our reputation with others. What do others think when they hear your name, my name? What do they think? That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about what we think of ourselves. Because quite frankly, God knew that his creatures tend to think a little more highly of themselves than they had ought to. We all seem to have this, and we try to fight it, and, and I try to fight it, I've talked to others who try to fight it, but inevitably, most of us who are human beings kind of have this double standard. When we do something, it's not as bad as when somebody else does it. We've got an excuse for why we did it, but they, have blood, they, they don't have one. Sometimes, for example, we'll go to, we'll have a problem with this brother or sister. And we'll go over here and talk to this brother about how bad this brother is, and we'll say to this brother over here, I got a problem with that brother because he goes and talks to everybody else and tells, me how bad, tells them how bad I am. What are you doing? Well, it's okay if I do it because I've been offended, but he has no excuse. We, all, we tend to have a double standard. It's, it's a heavy temptation. And so, again, when we're talking about a good name or our reputation, we're talking about what other people think of us and not of ourselves because God knows us. God knows that we have a tendency to think too highly of ourselves. He said so in Scripture. Did you know that? Look in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Go ahead and flip over there. We're warned, as, as the Apostle Paul writes to the Church of Christ in first century Rome, they're warned of this very thing. Romans 12, 
Verse 3, for I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Romans 12, 3. But to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Don't, and he's writing to Christians. Don't forget, these are people who are baptized into Christ, Romans 6. These are people for whom there is no condemnation, Romans 8, 1. These are those who are more than conquerors, Romans chapter 8, the latter part of the text. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to a church, a congregation, a group of people who belong to the Lord just like we do. And what does he say? I'm saying to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. He goes on in verse 16 to say, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble or the lowly. And look what he says next. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Twice in that chapter, Paul says to Christians, Tone it down when you're thinking about you. Don't put yourself up there higher than you ought to. Same rules apply to you as everybody else. We would remember the Pharisee who went up to the temple to pray in Luke 18, 9 through 14. We would remember him, for example. He had this, this different outlook on everybody else than he did himself. He had a different standard, as it were. He was meeting it completely, of course. Stop and think about those who would lead us in the church. These must be people of a good name or a good reputation. These must be people that others think of highly. These must be people whom, when others hear their name, who know them, can say the same thing as was said of Cornelius. That's a good man. That's a good woman. That's a godly woman. That's a godly man. That's a person, man, I, I've never seen them deal dishonestly. I've never seen them do anything other than what God wanted them to do. Listen to this list. In order to be an elder, a man, quote, must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil, 1 Timothy 3, 7. Must elders have a good reputation and name? Yes or no? Yes, they, that's what scripture said, just read it. But it's not just elders. The same is true regarding a good name or a reputation, certainly for every member of the church, yes, and we'll get to that shortly, but especially any selected, recognized, or appointed servant in the Lord's church, not just elders. Take, for example, deacons. Acts chapter 6, 1 through 3. The Hellenistic Jews were being cheated in the daily distribution of food. So what, the, what did the apostles say? They said, choose from among yourselves seven men. What? Of good reputation. That's where it all starts. Seven men of good reputation. That is so important. If you're going to be a recognized, selected, or appointed servant in the Lord's church, whether elders or deacons, or elders or deacons' wives. You, some of you young folks grow up to be elders and deacons. Some of you young ladies, elders and deacons' wives. Absolutely. There are requirements. You must have a good reputation. You must be thought of and considered by others in a certain godly way. 1 Timothy 3 and verse 11. Preachers, all preachers, 
particularly the younger ones. You've got to have a good reputation. Turn to me to 1 Timothy 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Beginning at verse 11. Look what Paul writes to young Timothy. It's all about his reputation. He says, let no one, uh, begin in verse 11. These things command and teach, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. It matters how others see you. Till I come, give attention to reading, to ed exhortation, to doctrine, do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Now again, we know the miraculous gifts and the passing of those on are not with us any longer. It's a totally different study, but you still get to have the blessing of those older men. He says, meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Did it matter what other people thought? Yes, he said, devote yourself to these things that your progress may be evident to everybody should know. You should have this reputation, Timothy. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourselves, yourself, and those who hear you. Did you know that even those men who lead us in prayer in the assembly of the Lord's church must have a good name and reputation. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8 talks about them lifting holy hands. What does that mean? It means when those men come before us to pray, these are men who are leading lives that are as holy and close to God as they can get. That's what it means. We must always remember when talking about the pricelessness of a good name or reputation, we are talking about what other people who actually interact with you think about you talking about your behavior, your qualities, your characteristics. And somebody says, oh, I know thus and such. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know that guy. That's not, that should never be said of a Christian. Ever. I know that girl. Oh, yeah. No. Merriam-Webster confirms this when, he, when the word is defined, when the word reputation is defined as follows. Listen to this. Overall quality or character as seen or judged by people in general, recognition by other people of some characteristic or ability. That's how Merriam-Webster defines reputation. Brother John Crawford, who's with us this morning, He's here because our elders have agreed to help support him to Bear Valley. It's kind of interesting. In his request for support packet, one of the elders at Grove actually used the word reputation. He wrote this. John has an extremely good reputation in our community, congregation, and at his part-time job. People know they can count on John. His bearing and behavior are excellent, and he brings glory to God's work. Young people, 10, 12, 14, 16, and the odd numbers too. I realize I skipped those. 
it is never too early to start developing a good reputation. Never. As a matter of fact, a lot of what you do early on when you were young is going to be remembered. I remember, I don't remember if it was since I was hired here or not. It may have been very early on, a year and a half ago, when I was hired here to be your full-time evangelist. Might have been before that at one of the meetings, but at any rate, there was a very young lady over in the fellowship hall. We were all eating, doing something, and this young lady in and of her own accord, I believe, was running around cleaning up people's plates and doing all this, being a, being a servant, 13, 14. And I remember taking her aside for a minute and telling her how proud I was of her. Do you know I, I still remember that? Obviously, right? It is never too early to start to develop a good name in reputation, King Solomon says it's more important or more valuable than gold and silver, great riches, better than precious ointment. But you know, that's not all that he said about it. I want you to turn with me, if you would, to Proverbs 25. Proverbs chapter 25, please turn there. King Solomon wrote Proverbs 25, and, and he wrote a lot in it about how important this, this reputation is or the way other people see you. In Proverbs 25, beginning at verse 6, he says this, Do not exalt yourself in the presence of the king. Do not stand in the place of the great. For it is better that he say to you, Come up here, than that you should be put lower in the presence of the prince whom your eyes have seen. You remember, does this sound familiar to anybody? Remember Jesus addressing this? Remember Jesus addressed how when you, you come to a banquet, don't sit in the place of honor, lest the, the person who, who is there, who gives it, comes along and, and had that seat of honor reserved for somebody else. But he said, sit in the lowest place. In other words, you're a humble person. Let people understand that you're a humble person. And then, if the one who throws this, this big feast and this big banquet comes in, he sees you sitting down there, and he says, oh, come up here and sit, then you will be honored, but in other, the other way around, you'll be disgraced. Have a reputation of one who understands their own weaknesses, their own humanity, of one who is humble. Proverbs 25, look at the next three verses, eight through 10, he says, do not go hastily to court, for what will you do in the end when your neighbor has put you to shame? Debate your case with your neighbor and do not disclose the secret to another, lest he who hears it expose your shame and your, what? Reputation be ruined. What are those three verses all about if I don't want my reputation ruined? Simply this, very close to the scenario I described just a few moments ago, you have a problem with somebody. Rather than going to court, as Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, go to your brother privately and work it out just between the two of you. Now, <clears throat> if you don't do that, but instead you go running and tell somebody else, that somebody else you go tell is going to expose you for being what? A talebearer and a gossip. And your reputation will suffer. When people talk to us in private, or when I have a problem with my brother or my sister, I need to go to them in private. I don't need to go and get a posse to come and tell them how bad they are. That's not a good reputation, because listen, 
if one person realizes that you can't be trusted to do the right thing when it comes to others, you know what they're going to realize? You can't be trusted to do the right thing when it comes to them either. So develop the reputation and don't let it be ruined, Proverbs 25.10, of one who will debate their case with their neighbor and not talk to everybody else about it. Not only that, but he goes on to say this in verses 11 through 13. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise rebuker to an obedient ear. Like the cold of snow in time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him, for he refreshes the soul of his masters. Be that person have that reputation of being a faithful messenger, of being one who is like the cold of snow in time of harvest, one who refreshes the soul of others. How many of you have put hay in this year so far? Raise your hands, nice and high. If you put hay in, I want to see them high, gentlemen, ladies, whoever. Well, this is high, huh? Okay. Warm out there, isn't it? Warm out there yesterday, I was mowing yesterday, I wasn't haying, but I was mowing, and it, it was warm yesterday afternoon. You know, that iced down drink when I got done was really good. We've got some triple digit heat coming up in Oklahoma. They're saying toward the end of the week, the heat, the temperature itself is supposed to be 101, 103, heat index through the roof. He says, let me ask you something. You're out there working, it's heat index of 116 degrees. First off, don't call me, I'll call you. No. Wouldn't it be good to have just a, just a quick little, you know, like a five, a five minute snowstorm to cool you off? You know, wouldn't that be good? You know, like the rain showers that come through the other day and drop the temperature down from the high 80s to about the mid 70s in about five minutes. That's pretty refreshing, wasn't it? That's the idea here. Have a, a reputation of one who refreshes, who's well thought of, who is faithful, he goes on finally to say in verse 14, whoever falsely boasts of giving is like clouds and wind without rain. Don't be one who falsely boasts of what you've done. Don't be one who boasts of what you've done at all. Let another's lips praise you and not yourself. There's a lot more in this chapter that would go on to talk about your reputation, what it needs to be. Verse 18, a man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a club, a sword, and a sharp arrow. You know what clubs, swords, and sharp arrows do? They hurt. And a man who bears false witness against somebody else is somebody who's going to bite you. They've got a reputation like a sword, a club, or an arrow. He goes on to say in verse 19, confidence in an unfaithful man in the time of trouble is like a bad tooth and a foot outage. I love that. You got a foot out of joint and can't go very far, can you? You got this tooth. You know, a toothache is one of those things that if your toothache, it aches from the top of your head to the tip of your toe, right? I mean, it's just one of those things. If you got a toothache, you're just miserable all over. Well, he said, if you have confidence in a man whose reputation is one that they're not faithful, and I realize I'm putting the word reputation, but that's apparently their confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble. If you trust in somebody who can't be trusted, and they have a reputation they can't be trusted, you're going to get hurt. So much in this chapter, verses 21 and 2. If your enemy's hungry, give him bread to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water. 
So you'll heap coals of fire on his head and the Lord will reward you. You want the Lord to reward you? Then be that kind of person described both here and in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, where some of this is quoted again. Be that kind of person. Have that reputation. Just briefly in the New Testament, I want you to turn with me, if you would, to Acts 6. We mentioned it earlier. Please turn there. A couple real quick from the New Testament. How important this is. When the church needs somebody to serve, when the church is looking for somebody to fill a role, the church is going to look to those men and women who have a good reputation for faithfulness and hard work for godly living. Acts 6, 1 through 3. Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. See, here's a situation that has a potential to get far worse. There could be a complete church split here. It's got the potential to blow up in everybody's face. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It's not desirable. We should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. We want people who are wise. We want people of good reputation. We want people who can handle it. You got anybody like that? Listen, you don't start developing that reputation when they're looking for it. If you don't already have it when they need it, you ain't one of them. How do you get it? By living it. The Greek word here for reputation means give a good report, honorable testimony. It's the same word used of Cornelius in Acts 10.22 where we began. In Galatians 2, 1 and 2, Paul went up to Jerusalem to those who were of good reputation to make sure he was doing the right thing the right way. So as we kind of get ready to close here, it's going to be a long closing, so don't get too excited, right? You can close your Bibles, but I just want you to listen. What is our word, our promise, and therefore each and every one of our own personal names and reputation really worth in the eyes of others. When we sign up for or say we'll do or commit to doing something, do other people look at us and know it'll get done? Question every one of us has to ask ourselves. Do we see it through? Have we developed a habit and are we individually known for keeping our word or fulfilling our vows, as it says in Psalm 61, or have we developed a reputation amongst others who know us best as one who says but does not do? Matthew 23, 1 through 4. When it comes to our personality, are we daily being conformed to the image of Christ so that others can see it? This is, this is a tragedy. Or do they look at us and want nothing to do with us and hence him, Jesus Christ, whose name we carry? Listen, one of the saddest things I have ever heard in my entire life. This is awful. 
souls will be lost because of this. Christian is having a conversation with a non-Christian. Door knocking, personal evangelism work, whatever. And they're talking to this, this non-Christian who kind of likes them and realizes this person has a good reputation and, and they're talking. And so the non-Christian says, and this has happened, the non-Christian says, well, wow, I never really thought about it that way. Where do you go to church? Well, I go to church at the thus and such, Church of Christ. Church of Christ, Church of Christ, Church of Christ. Which one is that? Where are they located? Well, they're over there on thus and such a street in thus and such. Oh! Oh! Okay, I know so-and-so, and that's where they go. You could not pay me enough money to step into that building. with me? Not those exact words. The exact words were closer to something like, I wouldn't go there. That's where thus and such goes. No. And that's the end of it. That's the end of the conversation. Any chance you had to convert that person has been wiped out because of the name or reputation of somebody who wasn't living godly at the time who was either gossiping, slandering, cheating them, lying about them, something. Oh no, I ain't going there, that's where so-and-so goes. <laughs> Sorry. I do not want the reputation, and I hope you don't either, of one who goes to church. Anybody, well, I know so-and-so, they go to church. A big deal. Satan goes to church every Sunday, so what? I don't want the reputation of one amongst those who have really taken the time to get to know me, of have, even having them say, oh, he goes to that church. You know the reputation I want? You know the name I want? And none of us are perfect, and we all make mistakes, and I understand that, thank God for his grace, I get it. Can't please everybody, I understand, believe me, I understand that. But the name and reputation I want is of one who really knows and tries to live the word of God every day. The name and reputation I want is of one who is honest, one who is humble, and one who is sincerely concerned about the plight of other people. The reputation I want is of one who does not gossip or run off at the mouth about the sins and faults of others. I want the reputation of one who keeps his word when he says he'll do something to the absolute best of my ability. Now listen, I know that we've all probably said we'd do something and haven't. And I realize sometimes there's circumstances. I realize sometimes we just can't do it once we've said we will because of something that's beyond our control. I get that, I, I understand that. And a person needs to be willing to overlook those kind of things. But what is our overall reputation? I want the reputation of one who can be talked to, one who will listen to others who are having a problem or have a complaint. I want the reputation of a person who does not think of himself as being too good to help those whom the rest of the world will just throw away. 
In other words, I want the reputation of having been with and becoming more like the Lord Jesus Christ, Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. What about you this morning? Who do the people who truly know you, your family, your spiritual family, your friends, your neighbors, what's the first word that comes to their mind when they hear your name? If they truly know you and your character and your personality, and they know that you attend the Church of Christ, would that make them want to come and become part of the Church of Christ? or to avoid it at all cost. Romans chapter 2, verses 17 through 24. Question as we conclude, how well do you as an individual, and I ask myself the same thing, I'm not pointing at anybody but myself, but I'm asking us all, how well do you adorn the doctrine of God our Savior, Titus 2, 1 through 10, and 3, 1 and 2, in the eyes of others. I love that. We are to adorn the doctrine. You know what adorn means, right? You, you like, you, you, if you have a Christmas tree and you put all that glitter and lights and stuff on it, right? You adorn it. You, you, you make it glisten. You make it show up. You make it brighter. You make it prettier. That's the idea. Do we adorn? Do we light up the doctrine of Christ? Do we adorn it? Do we, do we show to the rest of the world, let those lights shine and, and make it a beautiful thing in living 3D color? Do we do that? How well do you adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in the eyes of others? Or are the changes that you need to make? Maybe you've let somebody down and you need to talk to them and ask their forgiveness. Maybe you need the prayers of the church. You can't change yesterday, but you can sure change the rest of today and from here on out. Do you need the prayers of the church to develop a better, stronger reputation and name. Maybe you need to become a member of the Lord's Church by being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. This morning, if you have any of those needs, I'm gonna ask that you come right now as we sing this song of invitation and invite you forward. <laughs>